Well, hey, Kim, welcome to season two. Hey, friend, I was waiting for our theme music. (laughs) Hey, I'm Kimberlyn. And I'm Dara. And we are In Process. hand <laughs> who we pay in ranch water has alerted us of some sounds and we are reflecting on the variations between season one and season two where season one we had no idea what we were doing technically or even otherwise we really let the whole thing go on a whim we held those mics in our hand we made all sorts of sounds poor sheldon our audio engineer had a hell of a lot of work so now he's our audio engineer slash tech babysitter who's sitting here overseeing what we're doing and uh we're really appreciative for that and it's reminding us of the evolution from season one and i'm thinking back to sending you that text that was really that quick intuitive hit of hey i think that kim and i could have some conversations like we have on our own behind the scenes behind closed doors, sometimes literally behind the closed doors of your car that would turn into emotional interactions and that there was something there to share. And it was really interesting because when I sent you that text, if I'm remembering correctly, you either just asked like one question, like, what do you have in mind or something like that, but very quickly said yes. And you also specifically said something along the lines of, I pretty much say no to everyone for requests like this, but you had that similar sense and intuitive feeling about it. And it's so interesting now with the gift of hindsight, which is often what allows us to see paths in a way that feel more cohesive than they do when we're on them, that you and I were able to experience, well, hey, there really was something to that, that the feedback we got, that the emails, the texts, the personal stories of people saying, this really touched me or why'd you do that to me? Now I'm crying along with you, or I really needed that, or I hadn't thought of it from that perspective, really made it worthwhile for us to say, well, hey, let's continue to follow the nudge as long as it takes us in any direction, which I'm taking for myself as a reminder of, we don't need to know. And by we, I'm talking to myself now, I don't need to know what the path is. I don't need to know what all the steps are. And I certainly don't need to know what the outcome is, no matter how much my type A controlling brain has wired both nature and nurture wise to do that for so long. And so I'd love to hear some of your reflections between season one and entering into season two. Yeah, it's so interesting. You just sparked a lot of things per usual, but I'll work backwards. So when I came in here um, a few minutes ago or earlier to record and start setting up, we were having a conversation about what the future of this podcast can look like. And I had all these ideas I want to talk to you about. And I was like, I want to make sure that we're on the one with these. And I was bringing you up, bringing these ideas. And you're like, I mean, we could, or we don't have to, or, and I was like, it kind of disarmed me because I thought like, I don't know, for some reason I thought I had to come in here And, you know, let's have a strategy, let's have an agenda for what season two can look like. Let's make it bigger and better and all these things. And you're like, I mean, we could or we could just keep it as it is or we can grow organically. And it was that little reminder that was like, Kim, relax, like just let everything go. And I was like, oh, my gosh, is this going to be an emotional podcast recording for me today? Because I felt like I was going to (laughs) cry. But, but, you know, 
Um, so I want to acknowledge and appreciate you being every, you being there every step of the way saying like, it's cool, like chill, relax. And it made me grateful, um, for the people in my life, like you, like Sheldon, like others who have always said, like, Kim, it's all good. Like, relax, like just let things go, just go with the flow. One thing Sheldon and I were talking about today earlier, when I was talking about something that I was struggling with in my life and trying to make some decisions around work and stuff like that. I said some, we were having a conversation. I said, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And so I noticed, I was talking to him because I noticed that I tend to do these things. I tend to say yes, like intuitively, um, spiritually, I say yes to things. And then like the next day or a few weeks later, I'm like, I don't feel like doing this. And like, I just don't do it. Which and was reflective of how you showed up. Like you'd come so many times and be like, I don't know if I want to share this. I don't know if I feel like doing this. Yes. And I told him today, I said, you know, there are two times, um, and I'm sure this has happened to me a lot of times, but there are two times that stick out to me most recently where I'm like, if if another person wasn't there helping me do this, this would never come to fruition. Like if you weren't on me, um, and you weren't really, you haven't really been on me about the podcast, but I think some time had gone by last year before we had decided to put it out or have a date and you were just like a little nudge. You're like, Hey, you know, when are we going to put this out? But if I didn't, if I weren't partnering with you on this journey, I would have been like, oh, I don't feel like doing this anymore. Like, I don't think I want to release these. The same thing happened when I had, um, a really huge performance, um, that I had been birthing for a while back in, um, 2019. And if it weren't for my creative partner, shout out to Terp, um, <laughs> then that wouldn't have ever happened. Cause I was going through a really hard time and I didn't feel like I should be dedicating my time to that. So I'm always grateful for the people that are in my life who are like kind of pushing me. But now I'm at the point where I'm like, Kim, do you always need to have somebody to push you? Or can you just, you know, recognize that? Yes, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. So. So what do you make of that, actually? Because on the one hand, I'm like, well, that's beautiful to have collaborative partnerships and to have sort of that counterbalance is really beneficial. And it's why you and I have worked so well in this way and, you know, and bringing it into my business arena. Uh, there's a book that I read once that gave such great language for that sort of compatibility or that partnership. It was called Rocket Fuel. And it talks about this really essential dynamic between what they call the innovator and the integrator. And it's typically sort of that like CEO versus COO role. And in every single one of the enterprises I've had now, five, I've had that where I've been the more business development, ideation, innovator, relational person. And there's always needed to be, whether it was a partner, a virtual assistant, a COO, a director of operations, someone I bring on by hire or by equity, who is the counterbalance of that operator. They're in the details, they're in the minutia, they're really in the systems and the strategy in a deeper way. And the two don't coexist nearly, like they don't exist nearly as well without one another. And so on the one hand, I'm hearing what you're saying and I'm thinking that makes so much sense. Like that you need a little bit more of the gas or that pull to what you might be holding back on. But really it's almost like there's all this momentum building up or kinetic energy that hasn't been expelled into the ether and you need whatever that little bit of, I'll use that word again, rocket fuel to help light whatever or spark, whatever that thing is to let it go. And on the other hand, cause there's duality, everything I can also see an argument. I'm sure there's a million arguments in between 
of, well, yeah, you probably want to be able to start and finish and see things through to completion, so to speak, on your own too. And I'm sure there's plenty of examples of that that maybe you're not giving yourself credit for, which then makes me question, what's the difference? And my guess is in knowing you, it's some amount of fear. Yeah, absolutely. Because I I think of myself as an executor. Like that's what I've done. That's what my professional career has been about. Uh, but for others, um, yep. and I think a lot of people have this issue. The people that I work with have this issue, right? You can execute, you can do for others, but you can't do for yourself. And so it is fear. It It's absolutely fear. And I think one thing, going back to your original uh, question, what this, what season one has taught me is to do the shit I'm afraid of and run towards that. And I'm just so grateful for that journey that I went on with you, but also with our audience, uh, because it affirmed all of the things that I was going through. And it allowed me to understand that, you know, the things we ex- the things we experience, we don't experience for ourselves. Uh, it becomes the, the butterfly effect. And it's so interesting because one of my fears was I talked to you about this was because of the way we recorded and the way that I grow and evolve so quickly. I was afraid that what we recorded was no longer going to be true by the time that we released the episodes. But what was so interesting about it is the way that we, and this is, I guess, some BTS information. <laughs> behind the scenes <laughs> but, for the boomers. Behind the scenes. <laughs> this is behind the scenes info. But the way that we recorded in terms of just batch recording and then going back with Sheldon and editing those, I got to re-listen months later as a different person. And those were such sweet, kind reminders, whether they were coming from me or from you about like where I was. And so although I wasn't the same person and in the same place as when we recorded, they were still helpful. And then to hear others say, man, I really needed to hear this today. I've been going through a really hard time and this really helped me has been really, really cool. And so the greatest gift that season one has given me is I've learned to do the shit that I'm afraid of, which is why like, I do want to acknowledge that I'm coming in here today so much lighter than when I came in um, season one, episode one. Yeah, I sense that. Yeah. And I, you know, I was, I went to dinner with a friend last night and he was asking me like how I feel about the podcast and, you know, do I enjoy it? Which was another conversation we'll get into later. (laughs) But (laughs) one of the things that I did admit, I said, you know, I am recording again for the first time in a while and I have some type of feelings like I don't know if it's nerves, anxiety, like whatever. I do have some type of innate something happening where I feel a little bit unsettled. But I also know that once we get in there and we press record, like things are just going to flow. And so I have to balance. I think that's what my life has been about is like balancing that fear and boldness. Mm -hmm. And I thought about this today as I was just, you know, doing stuff around the house is like, you can be bold and afraid at the same time. They talk about you can have courage and courage is, you know, not the absence of fear. But I think about like being bold and afraid at the same time is so powerful because you're like, yeah, I'm scared of shit, but I'm still going to do this. I actually don't know if you can this. be bold without being afraid. That's true. That's true. That's, I think that's true because yeah, you're, otherwise you're it's just there. <laughs> you're just, just there. Yeah. So I'm just like, you know. I was so happy to see, I'm so happy to see you. I'm so happy to be back in the lab with you, but I'm also really excited for spirit to just flow and the energy to just flow and for more people to just hear and to join in community with us. So there's one thing I want to adopt that you said, and feel free to 
disapprove. But you said you were worried that it wouldn't be true anymore, that what you were sharing about what you were processing would no longer be true. And what I want to asterisk or caveat that with is that I think you were afraid it wouldn't be true for you anymore. But I think what you learned is it was still truth. Mm-hmm. It just wasn't true for you in that moment anymore, but it was. And that's the only reason it can resonate with anyone who listened and heard it. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. One thing that I say, and I think I hear Sheldon say, we might have to bring him on one day. <laughs> one thing I hear Sheldon say a lot is like, I said what was true in the moment. And I think that's really important because I don't know what that fear was for me, but I know that in the past I've been afraid of like saying something I believe right now and then me not believing it later. Mm-hmm. And I think that's another thing I've learned and not, not necessarily from the podcast, but just through the through life over the past several months is like. And maybe we did have this conversation, but to be like this is what I believe today. This is what is true for me today, as opposed to, you know, people are like, you know, waving their flag and like planting their flag mm-hmm. in it, you know, their stake in it and saying, this is this, and this right. is not, it's like, no, this Which is what almost I makes today. you have to hold it more tightly exactly, because you're like, well, damn, I just put all my chips on the table. I stood behind this. I made it a big part of my identity. I did, you know, whatever the things are that, you know, you and I watch both watch that Hillsong documentary. I didn't finish it, but if you didn't watch it, it's about this like mega church and the expansion of it. And like most things, when power gets to a certain level, there's usually something insidious going on behind the scenes. And that's a lot of what it's talking about. But I think that that's what happens there too, or in other places like that, where people are in this position of like, I have put my stake so deeply in the ground and I have built my mountain around this idea or these set of ideas that it becomes next to impossible without a tremendous amount of unraveling and fear and uncertainty that would come with it to evolve or grow differently. I don't necessarily want to go into this whole conversation, but I think it's something that's adjacent to cancel culture too, where it's how do we allow people the space to grow, learn, evolve, and say what they believe in a certain time. Obviously there is nuance. That's obviously there are things that are unacceptable always, no matter what, and where's the gray and where do we give people that chance? And you see so many people in the public eye expressing their fear and concern of saying anything about anything for a similar reason, as you were saying, which like, is obviously our little Petri dish is very different than one of that nature. All that to say, ultimately, that there has to be space for the nuance of evolution and that that's on both sides of the equation, that we as in this arena, the ones who are sharing ideas need to have that grace with ourselves. But we also invite our listeners to the same. And when we're the listener, literally or figuratively in other spaces, that we're invited to do the same and give people that grace as well. But then... I'm sort of taking this now in my mind to this place of like calling in and calling people out in the sense of, and that also means bringing people in when it's like, Hey, maybe there's something to consider there, or Hey, maybe there's an opportunity for you to rein that in, or have you looked at it this way? And I think it can be really intimidating or scary to put anything into some sort of memorialized version like we're doing in a recording. So I completely empathize and understand why you have those concerns. 
not only because you're human and those things are universal challenges if you're not a sociopath or a narcissist, and because you're someone who grows at hyperspeed, which is why I asked you to do this podcast in the first place. <laughs> yeah. And I think uh, as I, as you're talking, I'm thinking about, yeah, where does that fear come from? Or where, do, not even that fear, but that tension come from for me. And I think um, what happens, I think we probably talked about this, but it's coming back up again. It's like, I'm used to having relationships, friendships, whatever, mentorships with people and they meeting me at one place and whether that's a moment of vulnerability or a tough time and them thinking that I'm still there. And so they have an issue or there's, they don't, they haven't grown with me or they haven't made space or room for me to grow. So they assume that I'm at the same place where they found me. And that doesn't, that's just not how I am. Like I, I'm down. I, I cry, I have my moments and I'm back up. And it's like, Ooh, I forgot about that. Like my sister will tell talk to me about things that have happened to me in the past. And I don't even remember, um, but you know, I think like there are people who have been around me in my life previously who are not used to me or anyone growing as fast or moving as fast. And so they assume that you are the same person. And I know that I've been guilty of doing that in the past with people close to me. And I've had to check myself and say, well, Kim, if you value growth, if you value evolution, if you, even if you say you want people to change, which I know can be problematic, at least give people the respect of like widening the space and giving them the space to be different and not assuming that they're the same person when you left. And I don't, I think like so many of us, we say we want our, we say we want growth. We value growth. We value change. You know, I wish this person were this, or I wish I was this, I wish that. And, but we don't give ourselves or others the room and opportunity to grow and be a different person. Uh, in this case, the Hillsong documentary, like, you know, there were people, representatives in there who were very reflective and introspective and somewhat remorseful of what they had done. And I thought it was a really interesting take to see, but I could also see how others would be like, that's bullshit. But it's like, you know, if we, if we're looking at something or an institution or anything and saying that's bad, that needs to change. When people decide they want to change, how do we look at, do we give them the room to do that or the space to do that? Or do we just assume that it's not real? Which is also interesting in the context of Hillsong because it's a Christian environment where isn't everything rooted in grace and forgiveness? Yeah, exactly. Which, whoo, that's a whole nother episode again. <laughs> so far we have three episodes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I mean, you know, just give people room to grow. And I'm glad that I'm grateful that this podcast has given me so much room to grow and it's been celebrated in community and people recognize the growth, but they can take pieces of this on their own journey. And I think that's another thing that I think a lot about too, which has helped me on this journey and this process <laughs> is that you love a process, Ben. Yeah. I, I think I assume, and I apologize for the ego and the Leoism, but <laughs> the Leoness of this, but I assume that everybody is just at the same stage of life that I'm in. Like, I assume everybody's fighting for their lives. I assume everybody's struggling. I assume everybody's doing well, you know, all of those things. Um, and I think, you know, my sister would say I have main character energy. Uh, <laughs> but <laughs> I just assume. Except oh. the one we're in, sound check. <laughs> right. 
oh yeah, then I get nervous, then I get shy. But I just assume like, oh, I'm having a hard time. You having a hard time too, or. I'm doing great. You're not doing great. Which is reflective of how most people are, right? That most of us live most of our existence in the reality of our own making. And it's why we can have the exact same experience theoretically, but have two very different experiences. Yeah. Right. Yeah. There's something there. Go ahead. <laughs> we, we've been watching, we've been binge watching a reality show and we've talked about how. Which um, one? Oh gosh. <laughs> I mean, don't get embarrassed with me in reality shows. I probably watched it. <laughs> oh, like, okay, I'll bring it up because it has been a topic of this conversation. Like, maybe we'll cut this. <laughs> <laughs> no, it has been a big thing. Okay, Vanderpump Rules oh, with uh, Scandaval and everything. One. So, yes. But we constantly. This is going to feel very dated by the time this comes out, however. Continue. Oh, okay, we'll cut that out. No, we'll <laughs> cut that out. <laughs> But Vanderpump rules. And so um, we actually started, we got to the reunion of this, the current season, but then we're like, nah, let's chill. We're going to watch from the beginning because I joined season five, I think. Um, So we've gone back to season one. Dedication. And we've been talking about how like two people can be in the same exact situation and have two different You're talking about Sandoval and Ariana. Anybody oh, anyone. on okay. any of those nutcases on anyone. the show. Yeah, Anybody. <laughs> Kristen. Like. Yeah, well, good point. <laughs> Anybody. You can have two people who are in the same. And it's it's kind of scary. Yeah. I think yeah. this happens a lot. I think this is reality TV formula, honestly. Um, you see this in a lot of reality shows. You see this. And even if you think about like rom-coms too, like, oh, why didn't you say anything? Well, I didn't know. Or da, 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 mm-hmm. da. And, um, I, you know, you see this a lot in just romantic relationships in general. It's like two people can be sitting on the couch in the same, experiencing the same thing. Well, not experiencing, but in the same situation, having two different experiences mm-hmm. of a relationship, of a marriage, of an mm-hmm. incident, an argument, a discussion. You know, it's crazy. But I forgot why I was going there. Anyway, my point is that in my assumption that everybody is in the same stage of life that I'm in, I I think that was part of my thinking about like, oh, this might not be true anymore. And so I have to realize that not everybody is in the state, same stage of life that I'm in because we're all on different paths. And so something that I may not feel or believe in anymore or not, you know, or may not, this may not be a feeling for me anymore. Someone else may pick up that and find that really valuable for where they are on this day at this time. Mm -hmm. And that's cool. And I think like, that's what I'm learning is a true gift for others in this, in this journey. Like my biggest gift was learning to do the shit that scares me. Yes. But I think the gift for others is that they can just pick up nuggets like Easter eggs, like in the woods or tools in their tool belt. They can just pick up stuff. Mixed metaphors. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> they can just pick up stuff for their leg of the journey. So, But what you're saying is reminding me of how important it is for us to remember both how interconnected we all are and how much it matters that we invest in our own development, in our own selves mm-hmm. because of that interconnectivity, like both independently and because of. So when you say, you know, it's important that you're processing and you're learning these things and that you hold loosely, that it's okay that you won't be the same person however many months from now this goes public or has gone public. And 
that then you realize that there's this positive byproduct that happens when you got to be the vessel of a message that landed with someone that they could then ingest and be like, let me take that egg and put it in my basket and run with it some more. And you're like, I've been collecting 17 eggs up here now. And there's other people whose eggs they're dropping that are helping you go like, we're all leaving eggs for one another. And sometimes it's one-to-one. Sometimes it's through the TED Talk. Sometimes it's through the podcast. Sometimes it's through the book that you read. Sometimes it's through, you know, word of mouth storytelling from 400 years ago. Like there's so many ways that it happens, but I think it's so important for us to remember that it's important to focus on our own development because that is important in and of itself. And there's such a ripple and domino effect that happens as a result of it. And when you do it with intention, it's exponential. Absolutely. Absolutely. I talk about, I think about interconnection all the time. And Sadhguru talks about, he says, you know, never look up to anyone or never look down to anyone. And I think when you look at each other as equals or just as peers, you can learn so much from one another. You can give and take. It becomes such a reciprocal relationship. And I think that's what, yeah, this podcast has been is such a mutually beneficial relationship for everybody. I hope. Yeah. It's super symbiotic, which is cool. And as you're saying that it's reminding me of a time, maybe 12 or so years ago, someone was recommending to me, oh, you should go see this intuitive sort of like a, a psychic, but an intuitive medium, I guess. And I had never done that. And I went and I remember one of the many things that she had said to me that has stood with me the most was very similar to what you said Sadhguru said, which was, you're not better than or less than anyone. And I always held that because I was like, if I'm being honest with myself, I think I'm less than a ton of people. And at the time, I really did think I was better than some people, but I wasn't actively approaching it as like, I'm better than you. Right. But like by proxy of thinking people are better than me, I therefore must have also felt the same towards other people. And it was such an important reminder. And I think back to specific situations of like, where are those fleeting moments in life? Like those mentorship moments that I like to call them where you are in an interaction so fleetingly and never again with someone and you get something so important. And I remember this time where when Brendan and I were first dating and he was living in Brooklyn, our birthdays are a day apart and we were up there on his and it was getting close to midnight to mine. And we had gone to Magnolia Bakery to get some cupcakes to celebrate both. And we walked by a woman who was unhoused on the street And I remember walking by her, I I addressed her, but I walked by and didn't do anything. And I walked maybe 10 steps ahead. And I said to Brendan, hold on. And I, he stood there and I went back to her and I took money out of my wallet and I interacted with her and really looked her in the eye. And we spoke briefly. I remember walking away and you know me, I'm not generally a very emotional person. I just started crying. And I was like, so moved by the humanity of her and by the gift I felt like she gave me just in her witnessing me in that moment and me feeling so much with her in that experience where that would have been a time that would have been easy to be like, someone's better and someone's not better. When really it's like, wow, like she was actually the one who was teaching me and mentoring me in that moment. And I don't know what her experience was, but it is a really important reminder for me of that lesson of we're all equal. And if we look at things with that curious lens of 
what can I learn? What are you really about? Like, let me go one layer deeper, at least that there's always something there. Yeah. And I think, you know, that's a really cool lesson to get. It's funny because we actually had a similar um, experience, Uh, but what you experience takes a certain amount of presence as well. I'm continuing to learn the importance of presence because that's where both the ordinary and extraordinary moments are. And we miss so many of the extraordinary moments of life because we're not present, Mm -hmm. because they're lost in the ordinary. Mm -hmm. Um, And I find I'm finding it's it has been hard for me to be present at times because, to be completely honest, I spent over 10 years of my life, like outside of my body, outside of my head, because that was the safest place for me to be given my circumstances, like a lot of people. But now I'm coming into the place of, you know, actively training myself to be present, to be mindful and to just experience things. And I find that I'm always learning. I'm always learning. I'm always receiving. I think that's the biggest thing. Like, the tiny miracles in that day. And that that's reminds me what you say makes me think of that. Like that was a beautiful gift to get from that woman to just be like, it was just a really, and it's so funny because you have these tiny moments and you can't really quantify them. You can't really like put into words all the time, like what that is, but it's really like this nudge or this like kind of this tap on your shoulder that kind of brings you back mm-hmm. to, um, you know, gratitude or moments, mm-hmm. you know, so. Yeah. I want to have a, maybe a full episode conversation about this topic, but I'll touch on it here because it relates so deeply. And something I've been thinking a lot about recently are sort of this intersection of things like delight and pleasure. And I'm remembering how it takes exactly what you're saying. It's savoring those small moments and being present to them to even experience them. So I'm finding ways to do that, whether it's just like the noticing or the savoring of what exists or just slowing down enough or saying, you know, what is something that would bring me more pleasure in this moment? Something that I did today, for example, where I'm like, rather than do the efficient thing of like, oh, you have something to do, check it off the list, hurry up, get to the next thing. In the case of specifically here, like running an errand, hopping in the car, just going and like getting the prescription or running to the grocery store, doing whatever. I have started to decide to walk because I'm thinking, get some vitamin D. I get out into nature. When I'm out in nature, then I'm focused on like literally today, I saw a bird with a worm in its mouth. I saw someone's beautifully landscaped backyard. I saw, you know, people smiling when they're on the phone, walking down the street. I saw kids playing on the playground. I saw the vibrant colors in the sky and of people's grass, like all these things. And then also I'm generally integrating other things like I listened very meta-y to a podcast from This American Life on delight while I was thinking about delighting and, you know, going and achieving my thing and coming back and just feeling like, wow, it is those small things. And it's so damn cliche, but sometimes there's truth to that, right? That's why it stands the test of time that rather than saying, let me stay on the hamster wheel of the things that we've often been socialized or conditioned to believe are what brings delight and joy, which are often these big mountaintop moments. It's the vacations, it's the shopping, it's the party, it's the this, it's the that. Those things are great. And how do you cultivate that into a way that's sustained in real life that doesn't require 
all of the pomp and or circumstance. And I'm trying to bring myself back to that place of, you know, experiencing the feeling of the sheets when I'm in bed and just loving that feeling or appreciating the extra 20 minutes that I spend in bed reading in the morning and just looking out the window and seeing the trees blowing in the wind. Like it sounds so trite and like overly romanticized or poeticized and it's true. No, (laughs) it's just true. (laughs) It is. It is. And it reminds me of one of our listeners that posted an Instagram story, Bara, Bara, and she was like one moment of joy today. And I really love that and realized that she does that series. Yeah, Yeah, she does that, I guess, every day. Mm -hmm. Um, And so her one moment of joy was our podcast episode. And it reminded me of this video my sister took of me randomly. My sister was visiting for her birthday and one thing about her, she's always going to have her phone out with a camera or a video. She is the family historian. <laughs> and so we were randomly in the grocery store. And I guess she, I don't know what I was doing, but I was laughing hysterically. And I think I said, I'm so happy. I don't know why. I was just laughing. And um, she caught that moment on a video. And I hated when she had her camera out all weekend. It was, she was photographing me. She was taking videos. I'm like, oh, you know, I don't like the camera. I talked about my issues with the camera. But it's something I go back and watch like, wow, that to be, to be able to see that like very organic, authentic, small moment of joy in the grocery store is like what I want to keep mm-hmm. going after or those one small moments of joy. And I think what Bear is doing is so cool because I think we have, you know, we talk about destination syndrome or it's like, oh, when I get this thing or when I get this job, or when I get this relationship, yeah, the hedonic treadmill. Yeah. When I lose this weight, when I do this, then I can be happy or I'll be so happy when it's like, she's actively showing us that you can have these small moments of joy. It just takes presence, but right. people aren't here. It's presence and it's a practice and it's actually within our control. Mm-hmm. So I think we often think it's always like you're saying these external circumstances that are somewhat in our control, but often very much outside of them. Whereas every single thing that we Like when I go through the end of the day and I journal out the things I'm grateful for, what happened in the day, 99% of them are those things that are within our control because I, to your point, I got present to it. I noticed it. I allowed it. Like I invited it in, but it's, it's not the thing that I chased. It's not the thing, you know, that I had to work towards or earn or anything like that. Like that stuff's nice, but I'm trying to undo that brainwashing. Yeah, absolutely. And I was going to hold this down, but I'm itching to bring it up. <laughs> so before we started recording, Darren, I was, I was telling Darren about like how I'm the type of person who watches a documentary and that becomes my whole personality. <laughs> I know Sheldon is tired of hearing me talk long? about <laughs> this documentary I saw. So like a week or two weeks, probably. So <laughs> it's like, I'm a minimalist. And then next week, the closet is going to be a hot mess. also like eight years behind on this minimalism documentary. <laughs> so I background, like I always felt more like I swing towards minimalism because I Except grew up. books. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Except I'm not like an extreme minimalist, but like. Mediumalist. Yes, I'm a mediumalist. That's cute. <laughs> I mean, I grew up, my mom's a boomer. Hey, mom. Um, but my grandmother was also like 
a huge maximalist. Like when she died, we joke about how it was like Noah's Ark. We had to clean out her house and it was like <laughs> two <laughs> of everything, like two microwaves, like all of, like all of this stuff. She had so much stuff. And my mom, she grew up in the generation where you get your things. Like my mom has her things. You will never be broke down on the side of the road without your things. My mom has it. Uh -huh. <laughs> like, um, and so it comes in handy. But like, I think growing up that way, like I've just been like, I don't want anything. I remember the first time my mom came to visit one of my apartments a few years ago, she opened my fridge and laughed because it was so I just, austere. There was nothing. Yeah, I don't keep. I You're go a bachelor. To, my dad says I shop like a European. I go to the store yeah. for the things I need for dinner, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so I've always been interested in the principles of minimalism, rather. And so, and I, one of my favorite things to do when I move is to get rid of stuff. Like I love that. I love so starting good. over. So I came across this, I guess I'm eight years behind. No, probably more like six. Maybe so I came across the documentary because it's on YouTube now. I mean, I really enjoyed watching it and I really liked hearing from the different people who experienced, who had transitioned to that lifestyle. But one of the things that I wanted to bring up that you mentioned that was related to what you mentioned was that one of the guys said he talked about it from an economic standpoint. And he says, you know, a lot of people feel like, you know, they have to make more money or they have to have more things or they have to have a bigger house. And he was like, the problem with that is that we can't control how much money we make, but we can control how much money we spend. And of course, he was talking about it from like an overconsumption um, standpoint, not necessarily from people um, about people who, you know, are in different circumstances, but that really, and of course I've heard that before, but I think that's the key to minimalism is like presence, but also being mindful of what you're spending, whether that's money, energy, time, being able, being mindful of where that's going. And I think that goes in hand with what you were saying around just control and being in control of those moments of joy by showing up and being aware and being present. Mm -hmm. I mean, you're talking about expansion of resources as a whole, yeah, which I think is so important because you're right. That film, if I remember correctly from six or however many years ago, <laughs> she tried it. it is, <laughs> no, I was always a medialist. <laughs> that, that it really was more on the consumeristic standpoint and on the, you know, acquisition of goods type standpoint, which is connected to a mindset and a frame of mind. But I absolutely agree with you that it matters so much around energy, around time, around these other resources that are more scarce than money or things of those that are connected to that nature. Um, it is interesting because, you know, we referenced documentary before too with Hillsong and you and I talked about this a little bit before, but it is really interesting because things like that can be so influential to us in the way that we see things. And I think from whether it's like fully true or just full, I'm not sure, but that it changes your personality fully for two weeks, <laughs> it goes to show like, okay, how much can we take something in, put it through the sieve, sit with it and be like, what's to take from this? And I almost wonder with that theme of minimalism, where does that come into our own personal development and growth where I think you and I can tend more to be maximalists when it comes to personal development and growth. And, and shoes and bags. Yeah, and shoes and bags. Sorry, I like to tell the we, truth. That's true. We did record an episode in a closet, so you had to, you had to get the full scope. Uh, but anyway, all that to say, like, sometimes I think 
like I step back and I'm, for example, I'm reading a book right now called Educated, which I am also very behind on. It was a New York Times multi, multi bestseller over and over. And I've been really savoring it. I've been spending weeks reading it versus typically I read a book in a couple of days, a week maximum. And there's that part of my brain that is that growth maximalist. That's like, get to the next thing, get to the next thing. Like, what else are you going to learn? Are you even learning anything from this? And then there's a part of me that's like, shut the fuck up. <laughs> like this, that's the learning and the growth too. Mm. And you don't need, you don't always need a new tool. You don't always need a new vantage point. You don't always need to be actively in, I mean, this is very meta. You don't actively always need to be in the process of something. You can actually plateau. And I know I use this Everest metaphor in season one, but I'm going to bring it back of you can't just go from base camp one to two to three to four without stopping at the base camps and allowing yourself to acclimate and allowing yourself to be in the plateau. You die, you literally die otherwise. And so to take that to a lesser extreme with ourselves, I have generally had a hard time being in the plateaus because either I will sit there and want to stagnate for too long and get really comfortable, mm. or I'll be like, get to the fucking next one. Like, what are you waiting for? Why are you being so lazy? And these aren't literal things I'm saying to myself, but it's the essence. Mm. And so I kind of wonder like one, just like, what are the little nibbles that you take from these different places that you grow and you ingest, because it doesn't have to be content that's designed for it. It's like these passive moments, like the woman on the street that I talked about, or us just presencing ourselves to witness whatever's happening in life. Like those are teaching moments too. But some of it I think is just the reinforcing of like, you've got the tools, you've got what you need. If you come home to yourself more and you minimize or minimalize, that's not a word, but you get what I'm saying. If you make it more minimal, you can actually see through the clearing so much better than when, you know, I, metaphorically, there's like stacks of books and stacks mm. of resources. And again, it's like, it's not a this or that. I think it's a yes and, but recognizing that in some seasons, it's the slowdown in some seasons, it's the speed up in some seasons, they're way longer than other seasons. And all of that is okay. And I obviously am talking to myself right now. Well, no, you're talking to me too. <laughs> I always <laughs> literally say, and figuratively. No, seriously. Like I, I always say that I am a person of season and that's like the, that's one of the ultimate life hacks is really paying attention to the seasons and knowing like when it's time to go, when it's time to slow down. And even like, yes, I think, you know, we can talk about quarterly seasons, but even like day to day, like, you know, yesterday it was raining so bad. I was like, it is a sleepy day. And I could not get up. Like it, I just didn't have it. It was raining. And I, I learned to appreciate those days where it just rains because that's a moment to process. That's a moment to release. That's a moment to reflect. And then you know, the sun will come out in a few days. Shout out to Annie. <laughs> we know you can sing. <laughs> um, you know, the sun will come out and I'll be activated again. And that's okay. I've learned to wait because, you know, I always say the right thing at the wrong time is still the wrong thing. Mm -hmm. And I think that, you know, learning to just be in flow is the best thing mm -hmm. that you can do. And it's hard. Like I was, you know, talking about this earlier even with just the things that we're working on, the projects, it's like, yeah, should I, I feel like I should put more effort and energy into this, but I also feel like I should just let it go. 
anytime I start saying should or supposed to do or be, then I'm in the wrong room. Mm-hmm. So just let things go and, and let sometimes it be. that room is your head. All all the time. It's my head. <laughs> <laughs> all the time it's my head. But yeah. So I feel like we've touched on a ton of stuff and we could probably go into like 17 separate <laughs> episodes on a lot of these things. But let's bring it back like we always do to you know, we talked about some of our takeaways and processings around season one to season two and our own personal growth and reflections on that as well as gratitude. And I guess I just want to end on that one final thing that you said that was your biggest, which was fear. And I'm curious if there's just any final thoughts you have as we conclude today on, you know, are you sitting in any fear? Does fear feel differently to you? Like, what's your take on fear right now? Yeah, um, that's such a good question because I've thought about it recently, but I haven't been able to fully articulate that. But fear is still a very present thing for me, but I'm learning daily not to allow it to lead. And I think that's really difficult for me because I'm such an intuitive person. So sometimes I confuse fear with intuition, Mm -hmm. right? And I think that also was part of my conversation and my processing today is like in realizing like the spirit is willing and the flesh is weak. So realizing like what's intuition and what is fear, Mm -hmm. flesh representing fear and spirit, of course, representing my intuition and all those other things. And so that's where I'm kind of like, parenting that fear and saying like, yeah, I understand, but like, that's not what we're, that's not what we're going towards. So, you know, fear still exists. Like I said, last night I had, you know, some, some nerves or some whatever feelings surrounding, you know, recording again for the first time in a while. But I also knew the, the wise version of myself knew that once we got in the room, it would be all good. So I was like, I'm still going to show up. Mm -hmm. And you know, I'm learning the biggest thing that I'm learning to do is to just let myself be, you know, I realize that I'm afraid to let myself go. Uh, and, you know, we hear this in society all the time, like, oh, she's let herself go or they've let themselves go in so many different forms of the word. But I'm in this season, I'm allowing, I'm just allowing myself to let myself go. Cause that's when I'm my most authentic. Yeah, your version. Yeah. So, well, I look forward to seeing Free Kim. Me too. <laughs> I apologize in advance. Not to be confused with the Free Britney movement. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Outro music, please. <laughs> all right. I guess I've worn out my welcome, folks. It's been great to be back with you, Kim. Aww. Thank you all for listening. If you've made it this far, we appreciate you and we look forward to taking this ride with you. Talk to you later, friends. 